Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everybody and welcome to another Forza Italian football podcast. Oh my god, I don't even know where to begin. I'm Connor Clancy, I'm joined by a full house this week. Ewan Burns, hello, how are you? Hello, I am okay. Nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> I'm sure you're a lot less than that to be honest because Kev Fogzelski, you're here with us. How are you feeling today? I am, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Have a lovely day. Can't wait to see you control the three of us. <laughs> it's all, all good. It's all good in the world. I've got enough on my plate this evening, as you three well know. So I don't need you acting up tonight, Kev, please. We're also joined by Vito Doria, who was the unlikely person to be acting up in the free recording. But Vito, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um glad to be back after not being able to appear last week. So, um, yeah, actually... I reckon this will be quite fun. I don't think it will be, to be perfectly honest with you, but let's let's see how it goes. It's been a round. It's been a round of Serie A fixtures, I think it's fair to say. It was it was only fitting that it ended with I suppose you could say controversy in the form of the Derby d'Italia and the penalty that, that Juventus were given, but round nine definitely delivered probably above the the expectations that we had for it, Kev. I remember when we did the the preview part, I don't think we quite expected this many goals, this much drama, this much excitement. But let's just run through all of the results before we start going into things. It kicked off on Friday. There were two games. Torino beat Genoa 3-2 in a, a chaotic game that just set the pace for what was to come for the rest of the weekend. Samp beat Spezia 2-1. Then on Saturday, Salernitana lost 4-2 to Empoli. Sassuolo came from behind to beat Venezia 3-1. And possibly the craziest game of the weekend took place in Bologna. I was there. Milan beat Bologna 4-2. Despite Bologna playing most of the second half with nine men and most of the game with at least one man down, Atalanta started Sunday's games by drawing 1-1 with Udinese. Verona and, well, Giovanni Simeone, let's be honest, beat Lazio 4-1 in another game that I was at. Fiorentina beat Cagliari 3-0. Roman Napoli played out in a 0-0 draw to end Napoli's 100% record at the start of the season. And Inter-Juve finished 1-1 on Sunday evening as well. It was a big weekend for the website in that we were at four games over the course of the weekend. Four big games. Obviously, the Milan game, the Lazio game, the Derby d'Italia and Roma Napoli. And obviously, this is only possible because of... The, the transport funding that we're getting in through patreon.com slash forzaitalianfootball.com. So if you are listening and you haven't signed up over there, please do head over and sign up for two euro, five euro, or 10 euro a month. You're getting three pieces of bonus content every week. There's a Serie A newsletter every Tuesday or Wednesday. There's a Champions League pod or a Serie A review pod in the midweek for the midweek games. And there's also a preview pod 
for every round of Serie A fixtures. So do head over to patreon.com slash forzaitalianfootball.com for all of that. Anyway, on to the round nine games then, shall we? There's only one place to start. It's got to be at the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza. We had Alessandro Bay there for us, but we're not going to talk to him. We're going to talk amongst ourselves about this one. Edin Dzeko, you and put Inter 1-0 up early on. And it looked like they were going to get over the line until very late on when Paolo Dybala, who had come off the bench, scored a penalty. We'll talk about the decision to give the penalty in just a moment. But 1-1, a fair reflection on the game or can Inter feel hard done by? Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as hard done by, but I think they will be the much more annoyed team of the two because they were sort of in a bit of a stick or twist situation where they, they really could have gone for the kill or they could have done everything they could to defend that lead, and they sort of didn't either. They hovered in between, got slightly close a couple of times, but in the end, you know, Juve didn't create a lot, but they managed to get that penalty right at the end, and they they weren't completely undue an equaliser, but I think they they will feel a bit like they've got away with that slightly. Yeah, sorry, I I said on the preview preview pod that I kind of expected Inter to kind of grind this out after Juve had those sort of string of 1-0 wins. And it was very much going to kind of that that, uh, storyline for for so long. But then Juve kind of, they really just deserved a point because Inter didn't really look as though they deserved much more than that rather than actually pushing to to press Inter. Um, But as Ewan said, Inter just weren't really strong enough or there was a little bit of desperation, if you like, about how they were defending towards the end. So it was it was kind of expected that an equaliser would come, but not in the, the way, well, you could argue with the uh, history of Italian football that maybe it was due to come in that way, but it certainly looked, looked uh, likely just because of how desperate Inter were defending probably for the last 20 to 15 minutes. It did get a bit backs against the wall, didn't it? And when that happens, it usually does only end one way. And a lot of people will say when that happens against Juve, it always happens to that they get a penalty. Um, there's controversy. There's a lot of people wearing tinfoil hats at the moment as well. It's been quite an interesting reaction. But Vito, firstly... You've seen this more recently than the rest of us because you watched it just as we were coming onto the recording. What is your initial raw reaction to the decision to award this penalty? Because we've had it settle a little bit. Okay. When I saw it, I was thinking, on what planet was that a penalty? And then even on multiple replays, I'm thinking, I thought that was harsh on Dumfries. Uh, I think he had every right to challenge for the ball and... uh, Unfortunately, if, uh, if I saw correctly, it was Alexandro that was uh, challenging for it. I think uh, he milked it for what he's worth and the referee got sucked in. So, yeah, I think in that aspect, uh, the Nerazzurri can feel hardly done by. And uh, unfortunately for them, it's another chapter in Italia games in where there's a bit of a referee controversy because uh, there's still... Sorry, Connor. Uh, there was still a... Uh, Still to this day, there was one particular match in Turin where um, Inter were denied an apparent penalty. And uh, even after all these years, uh, that's still something that the Nerazzurri f- fans lament. And 
yeah, cost them a title. It was believed to cost them a title. So, yeah, another one for the history books and one to go down in folklore for uh, bad reasons. Well, that video was doing the rounds all week leading up to this game, so it is only fitting that this weekend produced a more modern take on it. Not quite as dramatic as that one, obviously. But, Gav, I know you were quite vocal on Twitter about this. You are also in agreement that it wasn't uh, a penalty? No, it's a bit of a nonsense. I know probably to the letter of the law it should be, but there are other European leagues that have kind of changed their interpretation, or at least advise referees to change their interpretation. I think that's where I think that there should be a little bit of common sense, if we call it that, on the officials' part. There's there's an element of this is Dumfries is in his own area, he's goal side, he's going up to kind of block the toe poke. But also Alexandro gets the ball. He effectively gets as good a touch as he can get onto it. And then he gets caught afterwards. But he's not He's not intending to get onto the ball afterwards. He's not poking it around someone to then try and run onto the run onto the ball. He's poking it into an area as best he can. It goes into that area and then they lose possession. And I think that's it's a bit like when I argue about shots that are going into row Z and they hit the sort of they graze somebody's elbow and then they get they get a penalty from it. This this common sense element I want is that are they going to get the ball? Uh, you know, are they going to get the the, the return ball, or, or you know, is it is, is there part of the play that's actually stopped that player doing something else with the ball than what they've actually managed to do, and they've just got caught in the follow through, and that's where I think it's it's harsh, and it probably should just be up to the referee to maybe use a bit of common sense there. I'd say it's not a penalty either, but I'm not as hardline on it in the sense that, like he he has kicked the man once the ball has gone. It's, it's a late tackle and sometimes it's not as easy to view it like that when it's in the air. I think if, if that's a stamp on the foot late, it seems a bit more obvious, but I just think the contact's not, it's not heavy at all and it's it's ineffectual to what is going on. And I think if you start giving penalties for that, there's, you know, we say this a lot, but there'll be a lot of penalties a lot of the time for very minimal contact. This is the thing though, isn't it? And this is the problem. Juve fans will be screaming he kicked him in the foot, which he did do. But I suppose the, the argument that you and that you're trying to say is that although he did kick him in the foot, he didn't actually impede him in any sort of way. And this is what Vito was saying as well. Alexandra was almost he realized where his foot was and he was just hoping and praying that oh maybe maybe someone will give me a kick and then I'll have the reason to go down. But I had a chat with Mo Stewart briefly on Twitter from from the Anfield Wrap. So, Kev, he's probably one of your mates so by, the, by that logic and you and probably not someone you like very much at the moment. But he said that we've just kind of become a bit desensitised to the threshold for penalties in, in Italy. And I think that's probably a, a prime example of, of exactly that. But we do have to give a little bit of praise, Kev, to Paolo Dybala because he stepped up, took the penalty, dispatched it. Obviously, hasn't had the easiest of times. You wrote an article slaughtering him. No, you didn't really last month. Um, just questioning if if you get Juve could rely on him because of his injury issues, of course. But he's come back from those, and he deserves a little bit of credit, I suppose, for for taking that penalty, given that he was he'd come on as a substitute, and there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, and I think the way he's come back after leaving the pitch against Sampdoria, I was a little surprised to see him come back so so quickly because he was he was in tears as he left with a 
what looked like a hamstring injury. Um, but yeah, you can, if you consider the importance of the game tonight, how late in the game it was, the pressure that that brings, and then probably the disappointment over starting the game on the bench, where in a game of such importance, you almost want to see that faith from your manager that you're starting the game because he feels that you're a sort of fundamental to taking three points. So, yeah, um, fair play to the lad for stepping up and securing a vital point for you, though. Well, we were chatting during the week and I was kind of not even that seriously saying, should Dejan Kulusevski start at the weekend because he scored a goal in midweek? And it turns out he did start. Um, he didn't last the entire 90 minutes, of course. But Vito, going into a, a Derby d'Italia were you a bit surprised to see that Allegri opted to leave both Chiesa and Dybala on the bench? I know, obviously, Dybala's not exactly fully fit, but to leave them both out, that is almost like an invitation for Inter to, to attack them, as if Inter are the, like, I don't know, almost the, the big dogs now. Or could you flip that and say it was a little bit disrespectful and he was resting two important players against Inter? Uh, could interpret it both ways, to be honest, but uh, it was indeed surprising that uh, Chiesa did not start because with Dybala, you know, only fit enough to just come off the bench, Juve needs someone who can uh, be a difference maker. Chiesa is that player now, and uh, if you don't have either Chiesa or Dybala, Juve look rather toothless in attack and uninspiring. Uh, if you have Chiesa and uh, Allegri continues to use him, uh, I think they'll be better off going forward. And uh, if Dybala can improve on his match fitness, that will be a big difference. But uh, against Inter, uh, they might have got the draw today, but or tonight, but... Uh, I think uh, Inter are a more complete side than Juve overall, and they are the reigning Serie A champions. So I think with Juve, uh, if they're going to park the bus in certain games or most games, especially that's how Allegra likes to set up his team, um, you still need one or two players to at least uh, provide some sort of uh, attacking spark. And when you don't have players of Chiesa and Dybala's quality on the pitch, that's going to cause problems if you're trying to nick a goal. You said that Inter are a more complete side, and I think that's a remarkable position for us to be in late October to be thinking that, given what happened there over the summer. And you and Edin Dzeko's come in, he's got seven goals already for Inter this season. I mean, I did not see this coming, and I think it's only right that we we sing his praises for the way he started at the at the San Siro. Yeah, he's been fantastic. And when, when you consider the shoes that he, you know, his kind of joint was meant to fill of Lukaku, with, you know, it was meant to be him and Correa were meant to share that responsibility. But really, he's done it himself so far in terms of output. Um, the, the only problem that we keep saying is that we don't know how long he can keep this up for with that really hideous fixture list that is going to keep coming, especially if they do manage to get through in Europe. Um, you know, he is 35 and that doesn't mean that he can't be amazing because we're seeing him being amazing, but it 
you know, he, he genuinely might tail off at some point. There might be a few games where he goes missing because it's just too many games and they need people to step up and take take that slack. But he's certainly done more than was expected of him so far. 100%. So, if we're speaking about things which outperformed expectations, guys, I've got to take you to Bologna because, oh my God, I was not ready for this when I, when I took the train yesterday evening. I was expecting quite a, a quiet evening at the Dalara, maybe a, a 1-0, 2-0 win for Milan or, or a resilient Bologna performance to get a 1-1 draw, something like that. But what I got was one of those games that we get so often in Serie A, which just reminds you that it's a stupid league and nobody should follow it because it's ridiculous. So Milan went 1-0 up after 16 minutes and then, what happened after that? Well, Adamo Sumaro got sent off straight red card for pulling back. I believe it was Ismail Benacer as he was approaching the box. Ball wasn't under control, um, which I thought was curious because I thought that was a, a prerequisite for a player to get a straight red card in that position, but obviously not. Davide Calabria made it 2-0 before halftime with, I mean, one of the hardest shots you're probably likely to see. The ball broke him at the edge of the box and he just thumped it through a crowd of players and 2-0 at halftime against 10 men, you kind of thought, well, that's that. There's no way for Bologna to come back. And to be frank, Bologna showed very little once Sumaro had got sent off to, to suggest that they were capable of doing what they went on to do. Because within four minutes of the restart, Zlatan Ibrahimovic had put through his own goal. And then three minutes later, Muzabaro leveled for Bologna. And then Bologna looked like they were the team playing with a man extra for about eight minutes, and then Roberto Soriano decided to, to try and break Fode Balotore's leg in half, and I know it wasn't a, a deliberate thing, but it was a, a nasty collision there, and it was, it was quite a relief to see him continue on, to be honest, and Soriano got sent off, and then for 30 minutes, Milan just looked absolutely rubbish, to be honest with you, but Ben Asser scored a volley in the 84th minute, Ibrahimovic scored in stoppage time, and, and that was that. Vito... This is something that I've, I mean, Milan fans on Twitter weren't happy to hear, but Milan were beyond lucky to get out of there with three points yesterday. Mm, they were. And this is the difference between, say, the Milan fans on Twitter and the Juventus ones. If it was the Juventus fans, they just would say, Conta solo vincere. Winning's the only thing that matters and just go on with it. We won, so what? Whereas uh, AC Milan Twitter is like, we won 4-2. We were amazing. We were phenomenal. We were dynamite. Why are you criticizing us? See? But you just got to analyze it on its merits. And, okay, Milan scored four goals, but it wasn't the best Milan performance. And uh, Bologna, given that they went down to nine men, they showed that uh, there were times where they actually could play very well. And... Uh, makes me wonder what happens if they didn't get those sendings off of Sumaro and Soriano. Could they have nicked the draw if it was 11v11 for the full 90 minutes? But uh, I think in these circumstances, that's where the individual qualities stand out. And uh, um, Ibrahimovic, he did score that home goal, but he set up Rafael Leal for a lovely strike. He got the seal after running onto Benacer's through ball. And the goals from Calabria and Benacer, just to smash it through those defenders, you makes you wonder how on earth the ball got through there. But uh, they were nonetheless fantastic strikes. So, yeah, sometimes uh, 
it's not about uh, the way you play. Sometimes you just got to be clinical. And I think that's what really made the difference for the Rossoneri because they weren't really at the dominant best, but they were just more in, more accurate in front of goal. I think even saying they were clinical is is very kind. You and you shared the, the reporting duties on this one with me. Um, were you as unimpressed and almost offended by Milan's performance as I was? Yeah, particularly uh, with the when it went down to nine men, particularly, it, it, it wasn't apparent that that was the case, which is obscene just, to say. I just want to, for a second, I know exactly what you mean, but I don't think I've ever been at a game in a proper stadium where a team has had two players sent off before. My God, you notice the difference when you're just looking down at the colours. It, it seemed like Milan had five extra men in terms of the spaces that they were occupying. But when they had the ball, no, you're absolutely right. Continue. Yeah, someone should have told them, shouldn't they? Because they just didn't have any impetus about them at all. And sort of peeked behind the curtain, they really annoyed me the whole game in the sense that doing the report, every now and then you get a report where a team goes 2-0 up who are the better team. And you think, okay, great, you know, I've got everything sorted about half an hour before the end. You know, nothing drastic is going to change. And suddenly it's 2-2 and there's red cards flying around and you have to pay a level of attention that you just weren't expecting to pay. (laughs) But yeah, Bologna, they, you know, they've lost, but they probably would have expected to lose this game and they wouldn't have expected to take this many positives from a game where they also had two men sent off. There there are elements of this game they can look back at and think, okay, we did that right. That's something that we can look at and do again against these sorts of teams, hopefully with a full complement of players. And Milan, again, like the Verona game, will be thinking, blimey, we've got away with one again there. We've got away with some really poor patches of play and they've taken three points and they will run to the hills with it. I thought that Stefano Pioli just didn't know what to do at times because he he showed his hand quite early. I think it was straight after Soriano's red card. Pioli just went, right, Giroud, get on. (laughs) We're not going to need to do much running. We'll have you and Ibra up there together. And to be fair, when when Milan had the ball, Ibra was often coming deep looking for it. But then the reason he was coming deep was because he was then offloading it out left or right to then get into the box himself for a cross. But there was no room in the box because Giroud was in there. Ibrahimovic was in there. Leao was oddly in there when I thought it would have made sense for him to be one of the wide players because he's able to to do something that others can't. And there were at least three occasions I counted when they were delivering a cross. I just watched the front three. I didn't even look at the ball coming in. And they were literally running into each other. It, it can be weird with teams where when they're playing against nine men, you say about that sort of confusing positions of the forwards, there there may have been a point in the game where they genuinely weren't sure where to go and who should be where because there's spaces opening up that they're not expecting, they've not accounted for. You know, Pioli won't have done anything on the training ground, especially with this sort of schedule at the moment, that has accounted for Bologna having nine men. Um, so a player likely Al may well have gotten a bit naive and confused and started drifting inside when he absolutely didn't need to with two of the most central strikers that there has ever been. You know, they are not wide men and they absolutely occupy that space. Arguably, you don't even want both of them there. So I think there may have been a bit of confusion for them in that sense. 
it did it did definitely seem like that at times because there were a few times where the, the ball would get cleared and then as they were both like trotting back to the halfway line, Giroud and Zlatan be pointing at each other like, no, I, I want to go to the near post. You you go next time and, and then let me go the time after that. It just I thought they were beyond lucky to get out of there, to be honest, with, with all three points. But Kev, we've got to give them a little bit, cut them a little bit of slack and remember that they're still missing quite a few players and they did get the job done and if Juve did this we'd be saying oh that's what champions do yeah it plays right into that um you know performance of champions narrative that uh is very useful with Milan sitting top of the table at the moment um but yeah with all the injuries they've got that will also lead into what Ewan was saying that they're not necessarily used to playing against nine men it becomes difficult and then that you you don't occupy the spaces you were before some of that is slightly overconfidence where maybe fullbacks that would usually press forward, particularly if they were your regular fullbacks, don't because they kind of expect the side to you know, get a winning goal and sort of see the game out. And, and that's what it leads to. Speaking of the absentees, I think it shows how important the likes of Teo Hernandez and Brahim Diaz uh, uh, Brahim Diaz, uh, he showed that he can occupy that number 10 role. Uh, he can play some wonderful passes and he's a capable dribbler too. So I think once he's recovered from COVID-19, I think uh, his uh, creativity will make a big difference in helping the Rossoneri unlock defences a lot better. Meanwhile, although Balotore was solid, but uh, I don't think... Uh, you can compare him to Teo, who's just dangerous when he just turns on the pace and uh, he ventures into that forward uh, third, puts in crosses and sometimes scores the odd goal. So Teo, you know, he might not be one of the best players defensively, but I think offensively he's one of the best left backs in the league. So if he once he returns, I think the Rossoneri's performances will look much better. I'm glad Teo wasn't there. If he'd been on the receiving end of that challenge from Soriano, he'd have pretended he was dead. My God, the way that guy reacts to things. He'd probably or, or have faked the funeral. Be, he'd still be rolling. <laughs> he'd have rolled himself down. There's a good hospital in Bologna, actually. He might have just rolled himself straight there. Um, I don't, oh, God. I, I had a nightmare getting in at Bologna last night, guys. We're not we're not going to go into it. Uh, the, the train journey was smooth. Everything else was, was very much not. But... I was enjoying being there. It's my first time back at the the Dallara since pre-COVID. And I had one of those moments again where I thought, oh, it's really good having fans back. And that was accentuated when the Bologna first goal went in. No one had any clue who it was. Everyone's guess was like Dominguez because he was running back and he's got blonde hair. So I think he stands out. But then the the announcer came over the system and, and said like, no, the goal for Bologna scored an own goal, Ibrahimovic. And everyone in the stadium was like, and you don't hear that in Italian crowds that much, but it was glorious. And I don't think there was a louder cheer for the rest of the game than that one, just because it was him. It was fantastic. Um, but Kev, you are our... Old man expert, I suppose. Ibrahimovic scored the first goal as a 40-year-old. You'd imagine there will be more to come. How, how impressed were you by your 
Is he the same age as you? He's a little bit older at the moment, isn't he? No, he's a little bit younger because he turned 40 a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? But I was 40 in May. Ah, okay. So, I uh, thought you were still 39, but, sorry. No, well, that's why I didn't receive a card, clearly. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, he's a little bit older than me. But, yeah, he's still he's still scoring the goals. And um, I'm sure if I had uh, his ability, I wouldn't need my mobility either. I feel obliged to talk about Bologna, obviously, because of the spirit they showed to come back from two goals behind with 10 men and to be five minutes away from getting a point with nine. When Go. Yeah, well, I think that comes from from that sort of confidence that comes with having nothing to lose, you know, particularly if you've gone down to nine men. You know, with 10, it's kind of still... Okay, we can we can get something from this. Let's keep it tight. And you think to yourself, well, you know, what have we got to lose? We're we're playing top of the league. The fans aren't going to kind of get on our backs if we if we do sort of lose this game. So why not go for it? And then maybe some of that uncertainty as you get closer and closer to securing that point sort of creeps in, and you allow yourselves to to let the opposition come onto you, and then they they, they let the goals in. But fair play, fair play to them for for getting so close to to steal in a point with nine men. And fair play to the fans as well, because when Ibrahim, no, when Benacea's goal went in, it's normal in that situation to, for the stadium to just be completely deflated. But it was quite the opposite. There was maybe half a second of silence and then the Corvo started applauding and then everybody around the ground stood up to applaud and they weren't applauding the quality of, of Benacea's goal. They were showing their appreciation for their players who had given all they they possibly could and more but i i thought it was it was mad watching this bologna game because they were defending obviously but then every time they got the ball it's like they always had the same thing where they looked to play a pass and then realized oh sh- we're down to nine men there's, there's literally no one for me to pass it to so then they'd play a one two and just whoever got the ball back would run as far as he could with it up the pitch but then that led to if that player then beat one or two everyone would get really excited and start going up and then Milan would come back on the counter-attack and after Benacer scored Orsolini came on for Gary Medell and I just thought yes the Irish is buying into this he knows there's no point anymore five minutes left take off the centre-back throw on the mercurial talented winger who's not going to do a tap of defensive work i loved it absolutely loved it but um i don't think they would have conceded that, that fourth goal had medelvin on the pitch not that it matters but because oh, someone would please please free muzabaro this summer get him out of there kev i know you don't want me to say that because you love bologna the city more than the club but you've got some soft spots for that club but please somebody take him away the other game i was at this weekend Turned out to be an unexpected thriller at the Stadio Marcantonio Bentegodi where Hellas Verona beat Lazio 4-1. And Giovanni Simeone scored all of the four goals that Verona scored. So much so that one of the local papers, I think it was, it was probably Lorena, but maybe not. They gave him a 10 out of 10 in the ratings and we know how hard they are to come by in in European rating systems. I, I was fully expecting him to get a 7.5, to be honest with you, but he got a 10. And Vito, he's the kind of player who we saw when he was at 
sorry, Genoa and his early days at Fiorentina, when he has confidence and when he's scoring, he's a nightmare to play against and a dream to play with. The thing with Simeone is that he has the similar characteristics to what his uh, father was as a player and just that mindset, you know, just being that hard worker, work your socks off and and that's pretty much about that. And uh, the way he gets his chances is because he'll run himself into the ground. Uh, unfortunately, and we saw this more or less at Coyote, that uh, sometimes he's just not prolific enough. But in this game against Lazio, he had his shooting boots on and uh, he took his chances very well. There was one particular goal where, you know, the Tiragir or the Goala del Piero, whichever terminology you like to use, that was a stupendous strike. So I think uh, it's great for him that he managed to put up this kind of performance because uh, I think uh, Verona now, especially with uh, Tudor on board and not changing much from... Uh, Juric last season, I think Di Francesco was obviously a wrong appointment. Not much to be said there, but I think Tudor has just simplified the plan a bit and the players, they're allowed to go about their business. And uh, I think for Simeone, uh, this is probably the best way to go about it. And I think it will be beneficial for Verona if he keeps on scoring because that might help them stay mid-table or be within that part of the league ratings. Today was the day that I lost hope for Eusebio Di Francesco. I've always given him a little bit of slack. And to be honest with you, with Sampdoria, I mean, every week on this podcast we recorded him and I defended him before he got sacked with, I can't remember where else he's been, <laughs> Cagliari. Uh, I thought he was just a bit of a, a basket case club. Um, when he went to Verona, I thought he wasn't given enough time. But you see what Verona were last season and then you see what they were capable of doing not only today but on other occasions since he's left I was just walking away from the stadium thinking geez like what was he doing with these players to to make them play so poorly and I know that makes me a results-based journalist and all of that but I mean really I've I've just got to question who's going to give him a job in, in Serie A again I agree with the sentiment about Di Francesco. He's another coach that I wanted to defend because he had some good results at Sassuolo and he had that one great season at Roma where he took them to the semifinals of the Champions League. But since then, his career's just been in free fall. And yeah, it looks like that he'd be better off jumping down to Serie B or even looking for a job outside of Italy because his last three spells in Serie A have been poor. But I also just wanted to point out about Elias Verona. That's also another player that's been doing well, but uh, he played from the for the other Genovese club, uh, Samp, Gianluca Caprari. I think ah. since since leaving um, uh, Sampdoria or joining Elias Verona, I think he's been one of the best players and he's... Re- He's playing with a bit more consistency that I did not see at Samp or at other clubs. Um, he looks revitalised, very creative, and he supplied two assists for Simeone in this game. So, um, no, as much I do like Caprari as a player, but I think for his own good, uh, the Jalo Blue would be better off purchasing him outright from Sampdoria. And I think uh, he's been an excellent replacement for Capra- uh, Zaccagni so far. 
and uh, maybe he's another player that can stay with them for a few seasons. I was going to throw to you on Caprari because I couldn't believe what I was seeing today. Early on, he took a shot from the halfway line, and I thought, ah, yeah, there, there's the Gianluca Caprari I saw at Parma last season because he was brutal when he rocked up at, at the Tardini. And like there were a lot of bad players at Parma last season. He was down there with with Cornelius and Gervinho as, as the very worst of them. But I couldn't believe it after that because after the, the shot, because he was amazing. His, his footwork was phenomenal. The way he was keeping the ball, he was playing with the, the Lazio defenders too. Really encouraging signs there. But we've got to talk about Lazio, don't we? Kev, Lucas was basically just non-existent playing in front of a defence that wasn't really a defence. And it, it all just fell apart. Akpa Akpro as well looked like he didn't belong there. Nothing worked for them. No, it was the hell. Obviously, I'm gonna uh, defend Lucas, but it was a, it was a little it was a little harsh from him from the amount of well the lack of running that Akpa Ak, uh, Akpro got through because Lucas at times seemed to be taking it upon himself to almost cover too much ground. It was the the first goal. Arguably, Lucas is chasing down balls he probably shouldn't be chasing round, and uh, Caprari is allowed to kind of just waltz through the. Lazio midfield. Then you've got the the slip from Radu, which kind of added to the calamitous and comical defending at times from Lazio um, to sort of slide the ball through for Simeone. But there were far too many players on the pitch that just didn't just didn't look as though they wanted to be there. Really, I know they had a game against Marseille on Thursday night, but you had Immobile looking like he was stuck, having to drive into the wings because there was very little energy at times from Felipe Anderson and Pedro. Or just non-existent running forward, and it was just, it was just overall a really, really sort of insipid performance from from Lazio, and I couldn't quite understand where it came from, given you know they turned Inter over last week. Yeah, with Lazio, I think there's something about them. On I don't know if I'm the only one thinks this. I don't know if I'm just biased by the Bologna game the other week, but there's something about them away from home in the daylight against a lower to mid-table team. But I feel like routinely, whenever I see them in that situation, they seem to get roundly battered. What is this? Whoever they're playing. So, they can't play before six o'clock. Yeah, this is my very specific thought, that whenever they're playing against a team they should be away from home and it's in the day, they seem to get really badly beaten. I feel like I've had this feeling for about three or four years, regardless of who's playing. But today they were just abject. There was... There was just nothing there, and it must be so frustrating for their fans that you know they can watch them put in a very good performance against Inter. They can be the first team to beat them this season and take a lot of pleasure from that. I can't remember exactly what they did in midweek. Well, they drew with Marseille in midweek, which isn't a particularly bad result. Marseille are very good this season. Um, and then they go and put in a performance like this, and it just completely chips away at any progress they seem to be making, and it just makes it feel like they're, they're not going to trouble that top four if, if they can't put away these sorts of games. That being said, Verona are in the form they're in, swiftly becoming a team that are worth keeping an eye on, as in in the sense of, you know, you, you want to watch their game, which you've not really felt like that particularly often, certainly not the start of the season. No, not, I mean, not since probably November, October last 
year under Juric when they were really flying it. Do you reckon they could be this season's Sassuolo? Because Sassuolo mightn't be it. It could be Verona who make that push. Yeah, I think definitely. I think Sassuolo, like I say, haven't been particularly good, but they, they were a bit more interesting um, against Venezia this weekend. Obviously, they won that game. But yeah, Verona, they're just... They're just quite exciting at the moment. And, you know, without wanting to be patronising, you'll assume that the form will level off at some point soon because essentially right now it's pretty much at a par with Napoli over the last four or five games. But you'll assume that they won't keep winning every single week and winning by a few a few goals. But, um, but yeah, they're certainly very, very interesting right now. What seems to help at the moment too, if we were to compare Elas Verona with Sassuolo, is that... Sassuolo, I think they're still trying to find their feet under Dionisi. And at the moment, uh, they're just not as prolific as we have accustomed to seeing from the Nero Verdi. I think that uh, although Scamacca has looked decent, uh, he should be scoring a little bit more. And even uh, Raspadori, although he had that patch last season when we scored against some big teams, I still think... um, He's a raw striker and uh, he still needs more time to settle into uh, senior football and uh, becoming familiar with his uh, more experienced teammates. So I think with uh, Verona, like I was saying earlier, I think Tudor is basically um, simplifying simplifying the philosophy of Juric and with uh, more experienced heads, especially up front, they've managed to score more goals. So I think uh, that's one of the main differences, just that scoring ability and taking those chances. I really don't think... What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? Um, Raspadori. I, I just do not think that he is a, a goal-scoring striker. I, I think he's going to develop to be a, a different type of striker, or like a, a second striker, or a, a 10, possibly. He had that patch last season that you, you rightly mentioned, and I think that has kind of tricked a lot of people into thinking that he's a, a goal-getter. But, I mean, every time I've seen him, I've never got that impression from him. I've been impressed without thinking that this is a guy who's going to sniff out goals. And, I mean, there's a reason that Caputo still played, and there's a reason that Scamacca was brought back as the guy to let Caputo leave. And it wasn't about Raspadori at Sassuolo because they're not, the same, but Sassuolo did get a win. They beat Venezia 3-1, which you would hope will be the start of a, a bit of a rise for them under Dionisi because they haven't been bad, but they've just not been what they were under De Zerbi, which which is difficult to, to do, to be honest. Davide Fratesi, though, getting the third goal, I was very pleased for him because I've been waiting every single time I've seen Sassuolo this season. I've been waiting to get the opportunity to write about him specifically in the post-match. But for one reason or another, every match has just presented me with something else. But every time I go to the map baby this season, I'm like, right, today's the day I get to write about Fratesi and why he's the perfect replacement for Locatelli. But we've not seen it. We've seen it on the pitch, but but not so much in, in the results just yet. But watch this space because I've been very impressed with him. Very impressed with him beside Maxime Lopez. Anyway, on to the other games. One of the games which we previewed, Kev... On the preview pod, where previews would naturally be, was Roman Napoli. It, it ended up being nil-nil. Both coaches, Luciano Spalletti and Jose Mourinho, got sent off. Um, Spalletti after the final whistle, Mourinho before the final whistle. But wasn't really what we hoped it was going to be, this one. 
No, it's probably what if we thought with our heads and not our heart expected it to be. Um, but yeah, it was Mourinho and Spalletti, right? I mean, obviously, it was yeah. going to be this. Yeah, and it was very, um, it was very uninspiring and very little action on the pitch. It was quite handy that there were other things going on in my life at the same time, um, because I only, I was only ever going to have one eye on it, and I think you only had to have one eye on it because there was very little sort of goal mouth, goal mouth action, or even controversy on the pitch. Really, a lot of the the, the things that went on that saw the two coaches sent off kind of pass by without without much being. Uh, spoken about on the on the certainly on the British commentary, um, but yeah, it was a, a tad bit disappointing. But um, if anybody was going to kind of halt that Napoli run, um, Mourinho was going to pull something out to do it, wasn't he? Do you reckon it's a result that both teams and coaches will be relatively pleased with behind closed doors? Uh, Spalletti, I think so because I think Mourinho will go to a lot of the Scudetto challenges and do this because, you know, if you look at teams he's had in the past, he, you know, in, in different leagues, he's kind of tried to collect points off everybody, everybody else and will always take a draw against those rivals of his. And he, he probably sees Napoli, if not as a Scudetto rival, as a Champions League qualification rival. So I think, yeah, like both would be quite we're quite happy with the point. You and Fiorentina beat Cagliari 3-0. Dusan Vlavic gave a penalty to... Who did he give it to? Biragi, because I guess he just didn't want to take it. But then he went on and scored a lovely free kick himself later on after Nicolas Gonzalez had made it 2-0. A 3-0 win over Cagliari, it's a, it's a very good result for Vincenzo Italiano's side. Yeah, definitely. I think they'll, they'll take quite a lot of confidence from that because it seemed to be... It was wrapped up pretty quickly as well. It wasn't... Sometimes you can get a three 0 It can still be slightly ground out, but they seemed extremely comfortable. The the uh, free kick from Vlavic was very very good. It wasn't quite in the corner. It must be said. But, no, um, I think it's from a nicer though when it's not, isn't it? Because it hits the right part yeah. of the net where you get more of a of a of a bounce back. I think it's lovely when it. Yeah, it does, it does the little flick. Yeah, mm. <laughs> but um, apparently, I saw someone someone did a bit of lip reading. Apparently, he literally said that he didn't fancy it and um, Baragi had to sort of confirm that to Bonaventura before he took it and everything which is a little bit weird I'm not entirely sure what Blavich would be thinking there he's taken quite a lot this season and scored them <laughs> so I'm not sure why he didn't want that but um, he must be in a very weird headspace at the moment you think with all the transfer yeah. stuff going on with him and when he scored that free kick there seemed to be a massive release there from him he sprinted over to the touchline did some sort of weird big jump thing like he was in a game or whatever <laughs> maybe he was trying to jump up and assault Rocco Comiso yeah or, or leap to another team <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he, he was clearly deeply happy with his goal and he very nearly did the same goal again in the other corner as well later on in the game which would have been something you know someone will be checking now get the the pitch on the Frankie up on maps and see if the direction he was running when he did that jump was in the direction of Turin and the Allianz Stadium. Uh, because if it was, guys, you know what he was trying to do. He was he was hoping he'd fly all the way up north to, to Juve, where he's, let's be honest, he's going there, isn't he? Vito, Atalanta looked like they were going to bounce back from their losses against Manchester United with a win. Ruslan Malinovsky had given them a 1-0 lead against Udinese, but then deep into stoppage time in the 94th minute, 
better leveled for Udinese, but I mean, this wasn't exactly a an exciting game, was it? Oh, one of the most boring <laughs> games I've seen in my life. And I blame Udinese for sucking the life out of Correct. it. Oh, Correct. They are the most boring team in the league so far. Yeah. And that's saying something because Juve brought Allegri back. And Juve, I mean, Allegri, since he left Cagliari, his teams are boring. He was exciting at Cagliari. After that, boring. But Gotti's Udinese really takes the cake. And uh, it also didn't help that Ladea had all those players injured. I mean, you know, no Gozens, no Toloi, no Demiral. The Rune's got to be a makeshift defender. No Hatabur. So, um, yeah, yeah, very disheartening to see Ladea um, drop two points in the final minute. So, yeah, just Udinese trotting along and boring the life out of us. And Ladea still need to find the feet again, but uh, again, just got to see how well Ladea play once they have uh, the best team available. You take a look at that team that played, and of the 11, the only players who were playing in their normal positions who would be playing in that position if it was a full-strength team are Juan Musso, Duvan Zapata, Malinowski, and Remo Freule. Everybody else in that team wouldn't be in there if, if it wasn't for for injury problems, and I'm including Josip Bilicic in that because he's he's not the, the player that he was two years ago anymore, unfortunately, despite him looking amazing against an Empoli team who, let's be frank, are dreadful. Um, so it, it's just one of those. Atalanta need to find a way to get through this spell where they've just been plagued by injuries and, and hope that they're still within... I mean, not too far away from the Champions League places, but I, I think this season might be the year that that proves a little bit too far for them. But it's got to be said that they're rubbish until like the end of November anyway, because that's just what they do. They lost to... Did they lose to Spezia last year? A draw with Spezia. They lost to Verona. They're terrible when they're playing in the Champions League group stages and, and then they get good in, in December and through the new year so so don't be surprised Kev Salernitana 2 Empoli 4 the the rubbish team beat another rubbish team and I mean button this is just a relegation game isn't it yeah well you know Empoli were falling up um within the first half and the only real moment of fun controversy silliness are you going to talk the... about it <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> Penenka and then the goalkeeper <laughs> I don't know if what the, the goal, yeah, so the, the goalkeeper Bellic just chases and he doesn't even really it's almost as if he gets sort of seven or eight paces and realises it slows his run to allow some of the Empley players to kind of stop him getting to them because I'm not sure he's going to punch Pinamonti in the back of the but head Ken, kick him kick his legs away he ran so fast when he stood up and it's so ridiculous because it's such a short distance like this yeah, was like a... he's trying to stop he kind of, he kind of stopped he Printed and I thought, oh no, hang on, actually, oh, Pinamonti's not running away as if there was going to be this sort of uh, for UK listeners, Benny Hill style sort of charging around. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I liken it to uh, when I was a youngster, I purposely sort of tripped somebody so they fell in dog shit on a park when we oh, were playing football. You are a rank. 
and probably like a, a five minute chasing shoot around the park and kind of that's that's half of what I, what I wanted to happen but it didn't quite it didn't quite come off like that but it just looked even more ridiculous so he kind of stopped his run and then Pinamonti hadn't even sort of even turned around and realized that, that he was angry but um yeah it's um it would have briefly brought some more entertainment to the game I imagine it's the highlight of the weekend. Uh, I, it's a weekend where a lot of things have happened, but this was it because this is the goal to make it 4 0 on the 45th minute. And you're away from home in Salerno where the fans are notoriously, um, I don't know how to say this kindly, to be honest. The fans are notorious. Stop. And he panenkas it down the middle. And it, it's almost like the ball hasn't even hit the net. And Belich is up, <laughs> running away from his goal. I reckon he could have just stood up and caught it, to be honest, but he was too busy trying to clock Pinawanti <laughs> on the back of the head. It was beautiful. If you've not seen it, um, Frances Calcio on, on Twitter, who is definitely someone that you guys need to follow if you don't follow him already, he shared the video. Um, so head over there. I, I think I retweeted it. If not, I just immediately shared it to you guys because I, I needed one of you to remember to bring it up. So, Kev, thank you very much for ticking that box. Ewan, um, I'm trying to think what games are, are left, to be honest with you. We'll let Vito talk about Sampdoria Spezia. Vito, do that now, actually. Sam getting a win despite not playing well, buying Diversa a bit of time, according to some people, but according to Massimo Ferrero, He's he's fine. He's got the backing of the club. Mm. Yeah, that dreaded vote of confidence. Uh, I think the victory does buy diverse at times, so we'll see what happens. And, uh, well, for, at least for Wooden Eze, that's how you execute a defensive game plan. You defend in numbers, compact, and you provide a good enough counter-attacking plan. And that's what happened. Uh, especially through Antonio Candreva, who's developed into our new talisman. Uh, Sampdoria got the necessary result. First home win for the season as well. And um, I think uh, Thiago Motta's attacking uh, philosophy played into Sam's hands. We just defended in numbers, got the necessary goals. Could have added a bit more gloss to it, but Berezinski's chip hit the crossbar. And then... Uh, for the consolation goal, Verde, that was an extraordinary strike, though. So, um, glad to get the win. But even, uh, I think, Verde can be happy with his highlight for the Aqualotti as well. In the other game, Torino beat Genoa 3-2. And Genoa are turning into a bit of a team to watch because this was a slightly crazy game. Their last one... 2-2 against Sassuolo was a little bit of the same. They lost 1-0 to Salernitana before that, and before that they drew 3-3 with Verona. Ewan, are we reaching the point of the season where we should be telling our listeners to watch Genoa matches, as odd as that sounds? Yeah, possibly. Not not in the same way that we might say it for Hellas Verona, where they are interesting to watch because they're quite good now. Genoa are interesting because they seem to just randomly get themselves back into games when they really have no business doing so. <laughs> Torino were, you know, they are a better team. They were better in this game and it shouldn't have been this close, really. And, you know, what's different with Torino now is I feel like I've been talking about them quite a lot, but their, their goals, it sounds like basic stuff to say, but they weren't doing this last year. Their goals are coming from genuine 
patterns of play that look deliberate. <laughs> they are genuine moves where people look like they know what they're doing and they are expecting their teammate to play a certain type of pass that they can get on the end of. And, you know, that is symptomatic of having a coach who is genuinely switched on and really knows how to get a very good tune out of not not the most interesting squad in the world. They did that last season. They knew they were just going to lump the ball forwards for Belotti. But 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 on on Genoa, I wouldn't advise anybody to watch their first half because they were absolutely awful, and I didn't see where this sort of comeback was gonna was gonna arrive from. And, I, and I've I've just got a, I've got a feeling that something in my brain is telling me they've done that a few times this season. That they've been absolutely woeful for the first forty five minutes, and then they suddenly just sort of burst into life uh, in the second half. So if anybody out there wants to save themselves forty five minutes, just uh, just watch the second half of uh, Genoa games. I'd suggest. Well, the Verona game, is my microphone muted? No, it's not muted. The Verona game, they were 2-0 down. And then they scored in the 76th, the 80th, and the 85th to go 3-2 up. But then conceded to Nikola Kalinic. And I'm pretty sure in the Sassuolo game, they were 2-0 down, weren't they? And they came back from 2-0 behind to do that. So, yeah, there you go. Watch the second half of Genoa matches, guys. But only if they're already losing. If they're not losing, but then just don't bother. If they are losing... Tune in for the second half. I think that's it, you know. Is it? I think it is. Right. There's a midweek round of Serie A. So, oh, God. I don't know what we're going to do. But anyway, we'll, we'll be speaking to people over on patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football. In the meanwhile, we'll have the preview pod going out on Tuesday, early afternoon or late morning, to be, to be confirmed. To be confirmed, we'll see when we can get that done. And then there's going to be another Serie A preview pod going up on, I suppose, Friday, isn't it? Because there's, oh God, I hate midweek rounds. Anyway, the newsletter will also be out. So there's going to be plenty of content going up on patreon.com slash italianfootball.com. Please, please, please do head over, support us from for as little as two euro a month and support the website that has been running for free and the podcast has been running for free for over 10 years which is longer than i mean any other italian football podcast out there and the website i think as long as the only other italian football website that exists so guys whatever you can spare we very much appreciate it thank you to everyone who has signed up we do love all of you so much and and the the patrons are slowly continuing to rise and all corners of the globe pretty much represented which warms my heart personally to see that but that'll do Vito say goodbye goodbye Ewan say goodbye goodbye Kev what score did Ewan's team lose today oh it was just goodbye five. <laughs> yeah, just the five goals goodbye everybody goodbye uh, for me. we'll speak to you soon patrons <laughs> <laughs>